I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, July 19th, 2020, and this is episode 77 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, there have been a couple of things. Um, The first one, and I think the best, best thing, was I read uh, Paladin's Grace by T. Kingfisher, and I, I absolutely loved it. It's a fantasy romance, and I had never read this author before. Uh, T. Kingfisher is a pen name for Ursula Vernon, I believe, who I also have not read. But I'd seen this book, Paladin's Grace, recommended several times, and I had I had actually downloaded the free sample a long time ago, and I just hadn't been in the mood to read it. But I had gone through several mediocre books, and so I was like, well, let me try some fantasy romance. And I just adored it. It is a story. I didn't actually know what a paladin was. I wasn't familiar with that term. And so apparently it's like a knight, sort of. But I think in this world, knights and paladins are different. Anyway, it's a world with all kinds of gods and whole like communities around each god. So there's temples, and some of them have paladins, which are kind of like warriors. And in this world, the gods are real. So they actually, the, the paladins get powers sort of from their god. And so at the very beginning, the main character, Stephen, his god dies. And that throws everyone who was a follower of that god into chaos, and his life is completely changed. And he also is prone to berserker rages. Um, but he's a great character. And then Grace is our heroine, who is a perfume maker. She's very quirky, and it's so well written. It's so well written. I really adored the story. And so if you enjoy fantasy romance, I think that you will really like this. So check it out. Also, uh, I'm still working my way through The Great on Hulu. I've got two episodes left, and I'm really enjoying that show. That show was highly recommended to me by a very good friend of mine who whose recommendations uh, are usually spot on. So she was like, Leslie, you have to watch The Great. And I'm like, what is this? So it's nominally about Catherine the Great, who I also knew nothing about. Like, I have heard of Catherine the Great as a historical figure. I didn't even know that she was in Russia. Like, I did not take... European history. I took something else in high school. And then in college, you know, we didn't have to take that. We took Pan-African history and African history. Uh, so I think there's just large swaths of European history that I completely missed out on, like who Catherine the Great was. Although this show doesn't actually help with that because as it says, it's a, it's an occasionally true story. So they take real characters and then they mix in fake characters and as far as I know, most of everything is completely fictionalized, but it's very well done. It's a dramatic comedy and it's funny and kind of heartbreaking. And uh, I'm really eager to finish watching it. And then last weekend, I watched The Old Guard with Charlize Theron, directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood, which was also really, really good. I really enjoyed that. Might watch it again. Um, which is about uh, these immortal warriors who, and then there's a new one who pops up and they have to go find her and bring her into the fold. And then there's someone who wants to capture them and do crazy medical experiments on them to see why they're so immortal. 
so yeah, I, there's been some great things to watch and read, which is always inspiring and puts me in a good place. I think creatively it feeds you to take in things that, that are really enjoyable and that are really well done and that you can kind of think about and say, okay, how did they do that? Why did this hit me so well? I'm not the great at analyzing things like that, but I do think that it helps to fill the well and filling the well is very much appreciated. In writing news, uh, it has been kind of a difficult week for a lot of reasons. Um, some of them I can't talk about yet because they're still in flux. But on the actual writing, I let's see, what did I do? <laughs> Having a hard time even remembering. Everything is such a blur sometimes. I am working on finishing up the short story that I'm giving away with uh, pre-orders of Cry of Metal and Bone. And I printed it out. I just have to do my final read through before I give it to the copy editor. So that should be going pretty well. I feel good about it, even though I haven't done the final read through yet, but I'm not worried about it being anything major that I have to tweak before I send it along. And then I have been working on my revision plan for Requiem of Silence, book four of Earthsinger Chronicles. The way I've been handling it is you know, I've, I've analyzed um, feedback that I've gotten and my own notes from my read through of that book and, you know, the whole series. And then I've got these. So, the, so Requiem has um, basically four major plot lines that then weave together. So there's four major POVs, uh, five POVs, but four plot lines, because one of the plot lines has two POVs. I know that one of them one of the POVs and plot lines was very weak. And that was feedback that I'd actually gotten early on when I'd first shown people uh, while I was working on it. And I agree. I think that the main thing I wanted to do, there's a couple of main things I want to do in this revision is strengthen that one POV. And then the end is a bit of a mess. <laughs> and so I've had three months, I turned it in April, April, May, June, three and a half months away from it. Well, basically three months before I went back to start looking at it. And so I can come at it with a fresh perspective, which I could not do while I was in the middle of working on it, pushing it out, getting, you know, turning it in by the deadline. But now having taken a step back, I'm able to look at it from a new perspective. And so I can look at some of um, the notes I'd gotten before, the notes I've gotten now. And the first thing I did after charting out what I had in the story grid spreadsheet, which I talked about before, was um, looking at what could I do to strengthen this plot line. So I had a character who I felt, and I'd also gotten feedback, that she was very passive. Like in this storyline, she's not doing a lot. Things are happening, but she's reactive. For most of this, the most of this plot line, she's very reactive. And I needed her to be more proactive because she is a POV character and we have seen her being proactive in previous books and that really needed to be carried forth. And I think it just dragged down her storyline. Like she wasn't the source of change. So I took another look at her character arc, where she starts and where she ends up and what are the steps along the way to get there. And then looked again at all of the scenes and looking at, okay, what is the conflict of the scene? Is there conflict? How does this character grow and change because of this? And how is she moving along the character arc in addition to the plot arc? 
So in a book like this, where everything is woven together, you know, I've got these characters and plot lines that, um, you know, they're doing their own thing, but at a certain point, everything comes together. Tweaking it and changing it is like surgery. You know, you have to be very careful about things. What I ended up doing was, you know, everything's on the table for change. I'm open to changing anything that needs to be changed. And I have to be careful not to get into the mindset of, well, it would be easier not to change this. So what if I just do this little thing? Because that might not address the problem. You know, it'll be easier for me because I don't have to change as many scenes. I might not have to do as much rewriting, but it's not what's right for the book. But I also don't want to ha- rewrite everything just for the sake of it, just throw everything away. So it's kind of a, it's a balancing act. It's like a tightrope walk of focusing in on what needs to be changed that will strengthen it and still doing the least that you have to do, but not approaching it from a place of laziness or fear about doing the actual work. So I made a mini plot board on a piece of paper. Basically, I took a sheet and I spread it into three rows. And then I used little sticky notes for each scene. So it's sort of like a a plot board technique, which I do on a bigger scale where I take a big piece of poster board and larger sticky notes and um, one for each scene. And then so that you can rearrange them, pick them out. Um, sticky notes are good for all kinds of things. And uh, I didn't want to break out the big, the big board. So I had just got the idea. I can do it in miniature on this one sheet of paper. So I did that. And I, I went through each of the scenes in this person's character's plot line, made a sticky note for it. And then sort of just brainstormed um, ways that she could be more active. And it really involved looking at the theme. So each of the plot lines in this book has a different theme. And it relates to both the external plot and the character arc of that character. So I went back to the theme and I went back to the stakes. You know, I kind of just went back to the core building blocks of the story. Then looked at the antagonist, and I knew that I needed to strengthen the antagonist of this plotline, who was like a sub-antagonist of the whole story. And I brainstormed ways to put these characters into conflict more on the page, so that my POV character is not just reacting to things that have happened over there with other characters and other situations, but that she's more in the mix. She is butting heads with and even in more personal conflict with the antagonist, in addition to the wider story conflicts that this storyline represents. So having done the the chart of, you know, the storyline and then going back into it and saying, okay, well, this scene isn't doing what it needs to do. And, uh, you know, she's passive here, here, and here. I can insert maybe a new character who uh, represents a force of antagonism and then have that conflict be heightened and strengthened. And these are the scenes that I need to do that. And so uh, kind of fitting them in to the existing scenes, I was replacing scenes. I've added a couple of new ones, replaced some, and then marked some for a heavy revision. It looks like from my chart, I'm going to have to do six brand new scenes. And then the rest of them are either revised scenes or, or scenes that can mostly stay the same. They'll just need some slight tweaks based on what... Um, what's going on. And so the six scenes, the new ones are replacing old ones for the most part with one or two brand new ones that I'm slotting in. 
so having worked that out actually feels really, really good. Um, cause I was really worried about this. I didn't know. And all throughout the writing process of the book, I kind of felt like you know, this character wasn't doing what she needed to be doing. Something was missing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to see on my own that she was just passive and being reactive. I needed someone else to point that out to me. But having had some time away from it and looking back on it, I can see it now and I can address it now. And it's hard because, um, you know, when you're on deadline, you don't always have the time to step away from the book in a way that you might need to in order to be able to see these things. And so that's when outside feedback becomes really necessary and important. So I think I've got this down. I do have to do another pass on it. And then I'm going to work on another character storyline, which is, I have some ideas about how to strengthen that too. And that character was already pretty okay, but there were some things that have just been bothering me. And also with feedback that, um, especially at the beginning of that, this other plot line, things that could be strengthened to add more conflict, because I do have a tendency to write things where, yeah, things are hard, but the character just overcomes the obstacle and almost too easily. And, and I see, like, looking back on it, I can see, okay, that really just happens too smoothly and easily. And it's just not as interesting as it could be. It's not as compelling as it could be if I made it more difficult. So I have some ideas for that. I'm going to go through that plot line. Then I'm going to tackle the end and make sure that everything is holding together, that the weaving is still working uh, with these changes that I've made before I even start writing anything. So I'm still not at the point where I'm writing words. I'm sort of pulling in all of these different techniques for plotting and revision that I have studied and learned about and now put them into practice so that when I go to do the actual writing, I'm just sitting down. I know what needs to be written. I know where it's going. I know how it affects everything else. Uh, I can write the new scenes, do another pass where I thread things through, where you know I connect all the threads that I've broken and redone. And then hopefully maybe another polishing pass and that should be it. So yeah, revision is a difficult beast, especially with you know, this novel is 140 to 1,000 words. It's got the different plot lines, the different POVs, and they have to connect. And everything is already kind of chronological. So there's fixed points in time that can't be changed for the things that I'm not changing, because it's not a whole rewrite. It is sections and pieces and things that have to still connect. And there's pacing and, you know, all kinds of considerations that you have to kind of hold in your head and make sure that you don't pull pull everything apart so that all the threads unravel and everything breaks. I'm not afraid of that in this case. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm generally afraid of that, but it is like slotting in puzzle pieces and you take out a puzzle piece and rework it, but it still has to fit. And then maybe you're expanding the puzzle a little bit and you're making room for new pieces. I don't know if this metaphor is going to work, but if you expand it too much, it'll just fall apart. So you, it's like a, it's like a stretchy puzzle and it's got a little bit of room but it's not infinitely stretchy. I do like this part. You know, I I don't like first drafts. That's why I do them fast, fast drafts, as quickly as possible. Because the drafting, the drafting almost doesn't feel like real writing. And that sounds crazy, but the drafting just feels like possibilities. 
And then when I get to the revision phase and editing, I feel like the possibilities are becoming more real to me and they're becoming more solid and actualized. So at the climbing gym, uh, we can't use powdered loose chalk anymore. We have to use liquid chalk. I never use liquid chalk. So it's just, you know, you shake it up and you pour it on your hands and you rub your palms together and it's just your hands, your palms turn white and it's white liquid and you have to wait 45 seconds and then it solidifies. It changes and it hardens and then it's like your palms are coated in this white paint almost that gives you the traction and the friction that you need on on the climbing wall. So in this metaphor, first drafts are like the liquid stage and then revision is when it hardens and it's real and it's now you're ready to climb. You can't climb with liquid on your palms. I, it's just be a mess. But when it hardens and it becomes the actual chalk, then you're ready to go. And I don't know if that holds up, but it makes sense to me in my head. So revision is you've waited and now, um, and revision is that stage where it's real and you're ready to go. And now climbing is the real writing to me. Waiting for the chalk to dry is the first draft. We'll move on. Another thing that has helped as I am thinking about the end is uh, this document I downloaded a while ago from Sterling and Stone, who are Johnny, Sean, and Dave, if you know the self-publishing podcast guys. Their podcast has changed names now. I think it's called the Storia Studio Podcast. They have a document, um, it's a 40-sentence plot outline, and I'll link to it. I don't use most of it because it just doesn't work for me, but the thing that I found very helpful was all the way at the end. So they've broken down a book into... 40 scenes or 40 sentences that you have to go through. And I think, I mean, I think it could be helpful for a lot of people. Um, It's a little, my mind, the way my mind works is a little too concrete. And so I would be actually trying to fit each thing exactly if I tried to use that. And so I have to stay away from things that are that prescriptive for my own well-being. But they break down the final battle of a book into six steps. And this is what I'm going to be using as I reconsider my final battle, which, like I said, it feels like it's a mess. I've gotten some feedback that it's a little messy, which I agree with. So six steps, preparing for battle, taking the fight to the enemy, first contact, war of attrition, mano a mano, and from the ashes of disaster. And so those are kind of loose enough that I feel like I can go back and look and see, okay, where have I done this? Where can I strengthen these? Because I think that it's intuitive. Like you kind of feel like that's the way that you've seen in movies and read in books that that final big fight goes. But um, having some kind of structure and plan to it helps me approach it and see where have I not done that correctly and why is it feeling wrong to me? And so if I have some kind of rubric or structure or way to evaluate what I've done with this final battle and uh, how then I can figure out how to fix it. Also, I have, I think I mentioned before that I was doing this teen mentorship program through the Muse Writer Center. And so I've been meeting with my teen mentee. I think mentee is always such a funny word. Um, And 
I got to read some of her pages from this novel that she's working on, and she's absolutely brilliant. I am so impressed. Uh, <laughs> it's just amazing to see really smart, really talented, very young people who, um, I mean, her pages were on par or better than a lot of critiques that I've done with adults, you know? <laughs> like, I was just completely blown away. And so I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. So she has the basics down. She has a lot of craft skill and we can really talk about taking things to the next level and more advanced things with her. Like I don't have to go into, okay, so this is a scene and it has to have a beginning, middle and end. You know, we can really dig into how she's going to approach revision um, because she has a whole draft done and she wants to revise it. And so that's kind of what I'm working with her on, which as I'm doing my own revision is always helpful because I'm thinking about things and I, I am very, very careful not to overwhelm her with every craft book that I've read, you know, and like every, all of my dozens of worksheets that I have. But I picked like one thing that I thought would be really helpful based on her pages and tried to do a, you know, a very clear, simple version of that for her and communicate that. Hopefully this will help her. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers. I I was writing at that age and I was in writer's workshops and every writing class I could take. Um, I didn't have access to a, a mentorship program like this, which I might have been freaked out by, honestly. <laughs> but I certainly wasn't writing novels. I didn't start writing a novel until I, w- I was over 30. I was like maybe 31 I never thought that I could write a novel, especially not at 16. So kudos to her and all of these fabulous, talented young people who are out here killing it and inspiring and, you know, making making us really take note. I think that I saw someone was talking, oh, someone was recommending a book. It was on writing excuses. And, um, you know, every week they do the book of the week and they were recommending a book, a debut fantasy author and just talking about how, you know, how fresh the ideas were and how, um, I think Brandon Sanderson was talking about how this really made him want to step up his game. And it's like, yeah, like you look at what's, what people who are unencumbered by maybe some of the baggage that you get as you grow older and are in the industry and, um, just have experiences that may jade you a little bit. You look at someone who doesn't have any of that and they're just coming at it with their whole heart and eager to learn more. And so I'm really grateful to have this chance to be uh, a mentor. And uh, I hope that she is getting out of it as much as I am. So that is it for me for this week. My goals are to get this short story to the copy editor, get my plan completed for the revision, and take a few, at least an hour or two a week to continue research and working on the new story idea, the heist story, because I don't want it to languish. I still want to give a little bit of attention to it because I do have a lot of energy behind it still. So I hope that you have a great week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. Please leave a rating or review to help support the show. 
and My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.